My name is Brett Gaida. I am your host, and you are listening to Where There's Smoke, where we look out there into world events, sports, and pop culture for clues on what we can do better in here, in our lives, and our businesses. We have main engine start, four, three, two, one, and liftoff. Liftoff of the 25th Space Shuttle mission, and it has cleared the tower. January 28, 1986. 29 years ago tomorrow, the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded and broke apart 73 seconds into its flight, leading to the death of its seven crew members. Looks like a couple of the uh, solid rocket boosters uh, blew away from the side of the shuttle in an explosion. Flight controllers here looking very carefully at the situation. Obviously a major malfunction. I remember exactly where I was when I found out, and I remember exactly who told me. And I remember exactly how I felt. I was in high school, and we were hanging out on the playground next door that was part of the grade school. And a kid named Jeff Lancaster was coming back from his house for lunch, and he told us what had happened. I think that none of us wanted to believe him, really. I mean, we kind of did, because it just seemed too extreme to make up. And at the same time, it just seemed too extreme to be real. Now, there are certain events that people talk about where they remember exactly where they were and what they were doing. For the generation before mine, it includes John F. Kennedy dying, Neil Armstrong walking on the moon, and John Lennon getting shot. For me, the earliest world event planted in my memory like that is the explosion of the Space Shuttle Challenger. Following that, I could tell you exactly where I was when I found out Kurt Cobain had killed himself. How I was sitting on my couch when my friend Brian told me over the phone and how my face dropped into my hands. Years later, another phone call. This one from my brother. A little before 7 a.m. Pacific time on September 11th, 2001. I remember everything about it vividly. As of yet unconfirmed that a plane has hit of the World Trade Center, and you can see that there is smoke there coming out of at least two sides of the building. There are other personal events I remember like this, including my father's death and my wife telling me that she was pregnant. But other than those three I just mentioned, there are no other world events so blazoned in my mind like that. So why do we remember these events? I mean, that's the question I'm asking here. And what I found myself thinking about when I noticed the anniversary of this event coming up. I get that in and of itself, thinking about these moments in history can be kind of heavy. For most of us, they're painful in some ways. They carry a lot of negative connotations. And actually, studies around this phenomena, the effect of emotional content on memory, have showed there's a reason for that. Psychologist Elizabeth Kessinger is one of the foremost researchers in this area. And her studies show that the accuracy with which we remember events is increased if we found the event negative as compared to positive, meaning that events we experience as aversive compared to pleasurable are more vivid in our memory and more visceral. Dan Schechter and I did this with the 2004 uh, playoffs game between the Red Sox and the Yankees fans. If we look at the details that people are able to recall as a function of whether they found the outcome of the election or of the game positive or negative, it's the individuals who found the outcome negative who are able to report more of the specific event details. The people who found the event to be positive 
they certainly remember the gist of the event, but they don't have the same level of detail for those events. Um, we've also done this. In ah, so that's why they say people. it takes just one bad meal to erase a hundred good ones. So it's not about the event itself, its size, its scope, its awareness. It is the emotional impact that it makes on you specifically, how it makes you feel. That reminds me of words spoken by Maya Angelou. One of her most famous quotes is, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So suddenly we are separating actions and even intentions of those actions in many cases from the emotional impact of those actions on others, which are individual and unique. We can see this play out frequently in our society today when someone has done something that is deemed inappropriate. And you can watch how publicly that person is forgiven or not based on how they come across, how they make people feel. Take Tiger Woods as an example. In 2009, after it came out that he had cheated on his wife multiple times, he held a press conference to give an apology. And well, it sounded pretty emotionless. Good morning. And thank you for joining me. Many of you in this room are my friends. And you wondered if he even Many wrote it, let room, alone if he meant it. Know me. I want to say to each of you, simply and directly, I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior I engaged in. And so it took people a long time to forgive Tiger, and some still haven't. Now we have other cases where people in the public did something similar, but they came across more authentic and sincere in their public acknowledgments, and people believed them, and so it was different. So people won't necessarily pay attention to what you said or what you did. You can say all the right words, like Tiger did. I am deeply sorry. But what did people feel? Or you can do all the right things, but if people don't believe you are doing them with the right intentions, it probably won't matter. And we take this idea and translate it into our everyday lives and businesses, we can start to understand how important it is how we make people feel. Show me the money! I need to feel you, Jerry! Show me the money! Jerry, you better yell! Show me the money! Now this is something I talk about so much when I'm in with corporations, because it's such a huge piece of the puzzle. How do I create a great culture? How do I retain good people? How do I get the most out of people? How do I get people to go the extra mile? How do I create customer loyalty? And I just think that in the end, it's, it's got to be something you know, extraordinary, something which makes us go that extra mile. Well, in one syllable, care. In five syllables, appreciate them. Appreciation. A single word that will help you greatly increase the influence you have with people to create higher retention in your teams and also create a work environment where everyone is willing to go above and beyond. There's a quote that resonates with me which says, a person who feels appreciated will always do more than what is expected. Now we should know this by now. I mean, there's certainly no shortage of evidence. The first study I remember seeing on this was actually done in 1946. That's almost 70 years ago. That one was a survey done by the Labor Relations Institute of New York. They surveyed both employers and employees, giving them both a list of 10 factors. 
and asking them to rank those factors in order of importance in creating a successful and satisfactory work environment. Employers thought the most important things must be, in this order, good wages, job security, promotion slash growth opportunities. However, for the employees, their top three factors were the ones that the employers actually ranked as their bottom three. And they were sympathetic help with personal problems, feeling in on things. We want you in our club, kid. Really? And number one for them, full appreciation for work done. Now, as you can see, there's a significant disconnect between what employees want and what their managers, employers think they want. And study after study through the past 60 plus years have come to similar conclusions that employees value the emotional aspects of their workplace as much as their financial compensation, and in most cases, much more. So people want to be appreciated. That we know. The question remains, how do we do it effectively? Because a lot of times, we're not. We have the best of intentions, and we're swinging, and we're missing. We think we are saying the right things, and we are doing the right things, but people don't feel appreciated. So perhaps the first thing to understand is that not everyone feels appreciation the same way you do. You must move from generic appreciation to being more personal. You must appreciate people in their language, not yours. I am not a number. I am a person. I use that vernacular to reference an incredible resource for this, which is a book called The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, written by Gary Chapman and Dr. Paul White. In this book, they discuss five different ways that people feel appreciated. Those five ways, five languages, are words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, tangible gifts, and appropriate physical touch. And each person has his or her preference. They have their top two languages that resonate most with them. They have specific ways that you can appreciate them that will work, and other ways that may fall flat. Now, I get that this seems like a lot of data, and for some people, a lot of work. I mean, you're probably thinking, wait, you mean I have to get to know each and every person individually? I mean, can I just throw a pizza party for everyone or something? But we are talking about people here. If you don't think people are a worthy investment of your time, then who is? I mean, we like to throw around the word culture and we get fancy posters made out of our core values and we put them up in the lobby, but that's not what creates great companies. That's not what creates great teams, great families, great communities. All those things are like Monet paintings. From a distance, they appear to be solid things that we can shape, manipulate, and move. But when you look closely, you see they are really made up of individual tiny dots. The culture of a company does not rain down on its people like a prophecy. The culture of a company, a community, or any group is simply the sum of the actions and feelings of each individual, of each dot. And so if we don't appreciate people, if we don't care about them, if we don't include them in what we are creating, well, then we'll likely end up with a mess instead of a Monet.
continue this conversation and get some tangible strategies, I decided to give Dr. Paul White a call. I mentioned earlier that he is one of the co-authors of the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. He's a psychologist and he specializes in helping make work relationships work. As we pick up the conversation, Paul is hypothesizing on why appreciation is not communicated more regularly within organizations. I think there are some subcultural issues there that uh, some leaders, especially my generation, sort of the boomers, like, well, you know, I never heard, you know, good job and got a pat on the back. So, and I turned out fine. So why should I do it? So there's sort of this personal history and sort of bias against that it's needed. And that may be true, but in the sense that, you know, this person turned out fine, but we clearly do know that for large groups of people, when they feel uh, personally appreciated and valued, things go better. I mean, they they show up to work, they show up on time, they follow instructions, they don't quit as soon, they um, are more willing to persevere. It's just sort of like what you're saying, you know, if you feel like you want to do this, you're more willing to sort of push through some problems versus, you know, say, why should I bust my rear to just, you know, do this when it doesn't really matter and I don't, I'm not getting any credit and, you know, I, why put forth the extra effort? But when people are engaged with that, um, they do. And then problems get solved. Right. So this, I was actually going to ask this question later, but since you sort of alluded to it, talking about the boomers, one thing I was really curious to ask you today, because I, I haven't seen it in your work, which is not to say it's not there. I just haven't actually come across it yet, is generational differences. I mean, do mm -hmm. you find mm -hmm. or, and have you talked about, you know, how different it is, whether we're talking about you know, baby boomers or Gen X or millennials and, and how maybe some of these appreciation theories or concepts change? Yeah, actually, uh, this past year I was asked by a, a major organization, a media organization that has call centers around the country and um, to come in and work with one of their groups because they were having sort of these generational conflicts. And I did a little bit of uh, sort of a questionnaire of the team members and research and found out that most of the issues that were cited as generational really weren't generational. They were just common issues of building trust, uh, poor communication, maybe not feeling respected, although that looks differently for different generations. Um, but what I did find and what we have found is that the issue of appreciation, interestingly, both across generations and across cultures, seems to be pretty applicable across all different kinds of groups as far as the five languages. What differs is the actions or the way they're expressed. So, mm -hmm. for example, quality time, for some people, uh, they want uh, individual time with their supervisor and want to be able to dialogue and give feedback and all that. And I've had some individuals say, you know, I do not want individual time with my supervisor. They're pretty intense and no thanks, but I'd like to go hang out with my colleagues after work or whatever. So, the action can look very different. Generationally, probably the one that's uh, most obvious that sticks out, and it's actually sort of a combination of gender generational, is that in, in the old days, uh, the, the highest form of thanks was to write a handwritten thank you note. Okay, so, if, I mean, even in personal relationships, your grandma gave you a nice Christmas gift, you know, you'd have to sit down and write her a thank you note. And that has continued, especially through the boomers and maybe into the, uh, the Gen Xers, some. But uh, younger workers, millennials, uh, especially males, don't really care about a handwritten note. I mean, it's fine, whatever, but it adds no value to them. But the difference for younger generational uh, employees is the speed at which you get back to them. And so if... You know, if they do a presentation today, they'd like to hear today, tomorrow at the latest, 
feedback about how they did um, versus waiting, going and getting a note, writing it, sitting through whatever mail you use. Um, so th there's a difference there as far as the verbal feedback. Uh, it, it's less about the style and more about uh, the rapidity in which it uh, occurs. Got it. Got it. And that, that actually reminds me of another um piece of, of, you know, your research and your writings that I, that I really like to kind of sums some of this stuff up, but it talks about, you know, how traditional employee recognition programs often aren't effective and, and for a variety of reasons. Um, right. and the four that you mentioned are, you know, one, they're generic, meaning everyone's kind of getting the same thing. Two, mm -hmm. they're, they're very general, right? You did a great job. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and then three, and this is what reminded me when you said it, they're very infrequent instead of maybe not just infrequent, but also not very timely instead of happening in the moment, they tend to happen during reviews or only yep. at one point or maybe every weekly meeting or whatever it might be. And then lastly, group-based, right, where you're kind of praising the whole group and not praising individuals. Mm -hmm. Can you, whether it's to one of those or all those, talk a little bit to some of that? Because, I, I again, that's something that, you know, I go into these companies and I just see it over and over and over. One of the things we have to do uh, is when I'm approached by a group about working with them or talking to groups is I really have to differentiate between what we talk about as uh, appreciation. We tend to talk about authentic appreciation rather than employee recognition because the the top responses by employees and even supervisors when you mention employee recognition is, first of all, they roll their eyes and they sigh and they say, yeah, we have one and you know, I guess what is it this month kind of thing. <laughs> and and then they, there's some sarcasm and cynicism that happens because it's viewed as very impersonal and not authentic. And so one of the, the differences that we really focus on is you've got to communicate recognition or appreciation in the way that's meaningful to the recipient. It's not what's important to you. And a lot of supervisors don't get this. It's like, well, I like to be praised or, you know, I wouldn't mind getting a, you know, certificate to go out to dinner, but that's not what your team members necessarily want. And we have to be able to understand that people are different than us. And if you can't lead people who are different than you um, in a lot of ways, but clearly motivationally, you're not going to have many people, uh, except for a bunch of little mini U's r running around. And so <laughs> we, you have to uh, focus on what's important to the recipient. And so that's why we developed the Motivating by Appreciation inventory is to be able to identify the specific languages and actions, and not only the actions, but from whom they want. In other words, they may want to hang out with their friends, but they're not going to invite their supervisor um, and so we can identify specifically so people don't spend time with people who don't care to spend time or in the way that they are suggesting or giving praise. The big one is, you know, going up in front of a large group to get uh, recognized, you know, uh, depending on the group. And I ask every group I speak to, but generally it's 30 to 40 percent of, uh, of the population don't want to go up in front of a large group to get an award. But that's often what we do, and some people really react to it, and it's a negative experience. And so it's like, why are we doing this if that's not what they want? And so, but they might appreciate, you know, just a, a, a private comment themselves uh, that you give to them in the hallway or whatever. Um, or it might be, hey, help me get some of the stuff done versus praising me and taking off and saying, have a nice evening. So we've got to communicate in a way that's important to uh, to each of our team members. Yeah, and I think that, you know, if there was one thing that I would want people listening to really understand is that idea, right? It's not about what we would want. It's about what they would want, right? Or, or as yep. I sometimes say, the you know, the golden rule is treat others as you'd want to be treated, which maybe works about 
20% of the time, right? If you get, right, right. But if you get lucky, right? But I think right, it's right. what some people call the platinum rule, which is, you know, treat others as they would want to be treated. And, you know, I could, it, it's so easy as, I mean, I'm someone who loves recognition and, it, and it's so easy for me to think to myself, well, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I put him on stage. I acknowledged him in front of the whole company and everyone gave him a stand ovation. How can he be upset? Right. Like it, it, it's, it's hard for me to think how would that not be a great thing? Mm-hmm. Right. When in truth, that could be the worst thing of all to someone. Right. Or, or you know, more likely, it just doesn't get it. You doesn't know? resonate. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. like, that's nice. Thanks for the effort, but didn't work. I mean, for me, a personal example would be I, I did some uh, volunteer work in the organization, wrote me a nice thank you note and sent me a gift card. And he sent me a Starbucks card, which was nice. But I don't drink coffee. I don't have anything against it. I just don't. And so I got it. I, I gave it to my daughter and got some points that way. But the next time, I think they had maybe heard something, um, and they sent me a card and a, a gift card to a sporting goods store. And I like to fish. And I was all excited. I was like, all right, some free fishing lures, you know. And it was just a little bit of a tweak. Uh, same language, same action, actually, but just a little bit different. And one of them really sort of hit my heart, and the other flew over my shoulder, you know. And so it, it makes a difference of, you know, being able to impact people um, in the way that's important to them. Absolutely. So big picture here. My show is called Where There's Smoke, and, you know, based on that idiom of where there's smoke, there's fire. And, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things we do is kind of look beyond the visible and what don't people see and so, you know, in, in this area for you, when we look at appreciation in the workforce and with companies, you know, what is it that, you know, maybe it's, it's the cost or maybe it's just something specific, but what is it that you as, as an expert in this field and someone who focuses on it, what do you see that maybe some others out there don't? The big difference in, in misunderstanding in uh, the world of work is that people mainly want to get recognized by their supervisor. And this was an aha for me because we went into this focusing on managers and supervisors. But at one training, uh, I had uh, a woman say, you know, I want to know how to encourage Susan, my colleague over here. She's having a tough time and I want to know how to encourage. She didn't report to me or whatever. And what we found is that people, colleagues, coworkers want to know how to encourage one another effectively. And that when that happens, along with support and communication from supervisors, managers, man, this thing really sinks. I mean, you see uh, a dynamic and sort of a positive snowball that develops that's really incredible. And and so empowering people, peers, to be able to encourage one another, show appreciation, even across departments, right? I talked to people, I said, what department do you want to have on your side? Two of them, for sure, IT and payroll, <laughs> you know? Because yeah. if your computer goes down, you don't want to, you know, be last on their list. And obviously you want to get, pay and benefits, correct? So this can be used across departments and collegially. And the whole focus of this top-down kind of implementation, I think, really uh, creates problems. And also, I, when I work with an organization, I say, we're not going to do a top-down implementation because that automatically undermines the perceived genuineness of anything that's said or done. Because if they know this is a program, you have to do it, we're on board for this, we make it available to everybody that they want to, but people have the, the ability to opt in or opt out because I'd rather have somebody not participate than somebody that has a bad attitude about it, try to go through the motions and basically poison the well for everybody else. And so it's both that collegial part and then also not forcing people to, to go through this if they're not interested in it. Right. And, and, and I would say on that, on that, that peer side, 
You know, one of the things I did uh, a couple of years ago is I did a survey of executives that I work with and, you know, mostly in Fortune 1000 companies, executives, managers, and there were three main things that they wanted. And one of those things that they really wanted was more influence. And part of the reason they wanted more influence was because business is a lot less siloed these days, right? And suddenly it's, you know, for me to get from point A to point B to get that project launched, it's no longer that I'm just depending on my team. I'm depending on people that I have no authority over. Right. Mm-hmm. So for those people out there who are listening, who I know fit in that category, you know, here appreciation is, you know, maybe the strongest way that you can build that, you know, that rapport, that good feeling that is going to allow you to have that influence, to have people go that, you know, extra mile or maybe at least that extra six inches <laughs> that they wouldn't otherwise. Because as you said, everyone's busy. Everyone's got a million things on their plate. So for those people out there that are listening and, and they're saying, yes, yes, this makes sense. You know, obviously I, I, you know, the easy thing would, I would say definitely, you know, go pick up a copy of the five languages appreciation in the workplace. It's to me, it's, you know, it's one of my business Bibles, but what else, Paul, what can people be doing out there? What other maybe resources do you have or advice you have of things that they tangible things they can be uh, doing to implement some of these ideas? Yeah, we, we've de- developed really a, a full set of resources. People go to our website, appreciation at work, and it's the word at, not the at sign, but appreciation at work.com. And we have uh, not only the books, but we have training resources that people can use within their organizations. Um, we have on, an online train the trainer course for either HR managers and bigger groups or trainers um, and or coaches and consultants to go through so that you can use our materials with your clientele. Uh, and then the MBA inventory. There's a code that comes with the book, but you also can buy individual codes for people that aren't going to read the book. And we've also developed some individual kinds of inventories for different groups. So for medical settings, for schools, for military, for long-distance supervisory relationships, and for nonprofits, because the action items look really different. And then, you know, we have our other books there on rising above a toxic workplace and have a an assessment tool that just came out this last week on how to determine how toxic your workplace is and what's the bad part and with some resources there. And then a new book that I think is really fun, sort of in the genre of uh, Who Moved My Cheese, but it's called Sink or Swim, S-Y-N-C, Sink or Swim. And uh, it's a, a fable version. It's an easy read. It's an hour read about the five languages. Uh, and it's a nice introduction. So have all those there and, and we try to be practical. It's not about information. It's about making things different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so again, to everyone, um, I'll put it in the show notes as well, but appreciation at work, and that's spelled out A-T, uh, appreciation at work.com. And I, I will say, I'm, I'm not sure how long you've had that site up. I, I know to me, it was relatively new, but it's just, it's a great site. I'm always impressed when people have sites up uh, that are just very intuitive. It's, it's, it's very user-friendly. Uh, it's great looking. And, and I think that stuff oh, matters, thanks. you know, it makes me yeah. feel, as we said earlier, it makes me feel good. So, um, cool. yeah, go there. There's, there's, everything's really clearly, uh, panned out and you got, you can, you can get everything there. So, um, again, Paul, I appreciate you, uh, taking the time today. My pleasure. I can't emphasize enough to, to everyone listening. Uh, this really is something that anyone who's ever done a training or a coaching with me, this has come up because I, I just think it's so, so key. So uh, take some time for yourself to, to use some of these resources that Paul mentioned. And, uh, and again, Paul, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, I look forward to, uh, to working again or speaking again in the future. Great. I really appreciate your support, Brett. All right. Thanks, Paul. You bet. 
That is almost a wrap for this episode. Where There's Smoke is written and hosted by me, Brett Gaida, and produced, mixed, and edited by Nick Jaworski. Eddie Felsen once said, It's not enough that you just have talent. you got to have character, too. And I can tell you that Nick's got both. He runs Podcast Monster, a full-service digital audio production company that caters to businesses and individuals with a story to share. You can find him at podcastmonster.com. Our theme song, written and performed by Des McKinney. Additional music by Kevin McLeod. And our cover art done by genius designer and strategist Sam Goff. To subscribe to this podcast, go to iTunes or your app of choice. And hey, let's keep the conversation between shows going. Contact me on Twitter, at Brett Gaida. Find us on Facebook. Meet me for coffee in San Francisco. Whatever. Check out our website at wherethersmoke.co. There's lots of cool stuff there. You can always find show notes, which include lists for all the clips that we use in each episode, as well as links to anything we reference in the show. And if you have something to say, you can say it there. Feedback, a question, an idea, a request, you can leave a voicemail right there on the webpage through the SpeakPipe app. You got 90 seconds to speak your piece. And join our mailing list. You can do that on the website or you can pull out your phone right now. Seriously, like right now. You could pull your phone out. Just text the word SMOKE to 66866. And it'll ask you to reply with your email. You do that and bam, we are connected. This episode's Clip Award is the holy flashback to staying up past my bedtime and watching TV award. And it goes to number six and the prisoner clip. And I'd also like to dedicate the episode to the glowing rovers. May they find the peace and self-love they clearly lack as they roll around the village like bubble versions of tumbleweeds gobbling people up. Lastly, Nick and I actually took the MBA inventory on the Appreciation at Work website, and it turns out that our primary appreciation language is iTunes reviews and five-star ratings. Who knew? So if you want to show us some appreciation, please, please, please take a moment to hop on iTunes and do that. The difference it makes is truly tremendous within the iTunes algorithm, and it will help get this crazy project of passion in front of more people and into more ears. With that, we appreciate you, and we will see you next episode.